Today we began a new series of messages that actually will go all the way to the end of January. Uh, I've entitled this series, Grace, Gratitude, uh, Generosity. And <clears throat> I love to talk about these things. I think these three uh, things are really the building blocks of the abundant life that Christ, that Christ has called us to. If we live these things with abundance, grace, gratitude, uh, generosity, I think we experience the full life that God has for us. So very important series. I think especially this first six weeks on grace is so essential. If you don't get grace right in the Christian faith, it's almost like you don't have the foundation. You know, you, if you've ever built a house, you know the foundation has to be right. If it's not right, the whole, whole house is uh, kind of crooked after that. So you got to get the foundation, as far as I'm concerned, the foundation of the Christian uh, life. The essential truth of the Christian life is grace. And yet after many, many years of ministry, I would say that a great, maybe majority, of Christians do not really understand this grace of God and what it has for us. So I encourage you to come or to listen every week because it's a really uh, important series. Today, uh, I'm going to read a pretty long scripture. We're going to start in the very first chapter of the Bible. And sometimes we think grace comes in the New Testament, but as we'll see today, from the very beginning, uh, God has treated the world with grace. So let me pray and then I'll read the great scripture of uh, the creation story. God, we pray that as we uh, enter into this series on grace, gratitude, generosity, we pray that uh, you would speak to us, that you would open up our minds to the truth of living by being rooted in grace, living in gratitude, and following your example of being generous people. God, speak to us a clear word, uh, and may these words not just be information, but may they transform us and help us to live the life that you have for us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to just encourage you today to just sit back and listen, not to try to follow along uh, in the Bible today. And I want to say this at the beginning of this reading. This passage of scripture has been so mishandled, obviously, over the years. This is not a science text. This is poetry. It is actually uh, kind of like a hymn in praise of God. So uh, let's be reminded of that. It is not so much dealing with how God created the world, but why God created. So here it is. Listen to the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. 
and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. Oh, boy. Sorry about that. I lost my place here. So God made the vault and separated water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear the fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in numbers and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, 
Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from the work, all the work of creating that he had done. A number of years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I led a group of teenagers on a backpacking trip in the Sierra Nevada. And on the first night of this trip, we spent the night in Tuolumne Meadows, that great campground up in the high Sierra, a beautiful place. And just after dinner, after we had cleaned up, the sun had begun to set, and I said, let's go out on the meadow, and let's just be still and watch the sunset. And I have to tell you, I still remember that night. It was absolutely gorgeous, the cool, crisp air, uh, silence, really, once we got out to the meadow, except for that great sound of wind blowing through tall trees and the Tuolumne River just falling over some rocks. Other than that, silence. And miraculously, I got the kids to be quiet. And I asked them to sit on a bridge and just to be still and to enjoy the silence. Didn't realize that as we sat down, we were about to take in really one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. A great performance. The sun began to set and the sky began to change colors. It was though God the artist just began to splash colors on this huge canvas. Oranges and reds and yellows and pinks and magenta, violet, deep purple. And as the color of the sky began to change, the granite domes that encircle that valley reflected those colors until we were just sort of just immersed in color, just enveloped by the creation. We felt like we were just swimming in this sea of color. And though that was not enough, just as the sun set and, and the reds and the yellows and, and oranges were being replaced by the violet and the deep purple and finally the black of the night, the stars began to rise, appear in the sky, And then this bright light began to rise over one of the domes. And I didn't realize it, but it was a full moon. And as the full moon began to set, oh, it it just immersed the whole valley 
in light. Amazing. Have you ever had those moments in life when you realize that you have just been given this amazing gift? And a gift in the purest sense. In the sense that you did absolutely nothing to earn it. You didn't even think of it or scheme to get it. It was just this this gift that was given to you. Well, that's what we experience that night. And I believe that we have these moments from time to time in our lives. And you know what I'm describing here, right? It's what the Bible calls grace. And as we go through this sermon series on grace and we try to define it, you know, it's almost like a diamond that is multi-sided. You just move it and you see all these different sides of grace. But, wow, here is a great picture of grace. Just this this gift given to a group of people just to enjoy for free. Grace is like that. Grace is a gift. And a gift that, that is given to us, as we see in this passage today, just out of Pure love. Grace is undeserved. It is unearned. In fact, you can't earn it. And often, like that night in Yosemite, it has an element of surprise to it. It's unexpected. Benjamin Warfield, the great Princeton theologian, once defined grace this way, and I think it's a great definition. He said, grace is the unmerited favor of God toward the undeserved. Let me say that again, because this this is a great definition. Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward the undeserved. A friend of mine once wrote a song on grace. He called it, undeserved favor, unmerited love. It's grace. Grace. And we're all recipients of this grace. Are we not? God pours out his blessings, his goodness, his grace on all people, everyone. We experience grace every day. A new morning is grace. Sitting down with a a friend for a cup of coffee and having a conversation where you're Hearts are united where you feel like soulmates and you're listened to and you are loved in an in a unusual way. Wow, that's, that's grace. Holding a sleeping child in your lap, that's grace. It's a gift. And if it's a grandkid, it's even more special because you can give it away instead of spending the night with it, right? <laughs> By the way, Scott Kale became a grandfather this week. It's a gift, isn't it? You can't earn that. You can't make it happen. It's it's just this gift. And it seems like so many of the great pleasures in life are these kinds of gifts, right? Common to all of us. Now, theologians have coined a term for this kind of grace, and it's called common grace. 
it's distinct from another kind of grace that we're going to talk about for the rest of the weeks, which is special grace. Special grace is the saving grace that we often think of, the grace that we have been given through Jesus Christ. This special grace is the grace of salvation that redeems, that saves, that forgives, that gives us new life in Christ. And we'll be spending a lot of time on special grace in the weeks ahead. But today I want to focus on this grace, common grace, the grace that is given to all people, regardless of whether they recognize it as grace or not. And obviously it's caused, called common grace for obvious reasons. It's common to all people. All people enjoy the beauty of creation, don't they? All people uh, enjoy the warmth of the sun or the re refreshing water when they're thirsty. All people are beneficiaries of common grace simply because they are alive. They have been given life by God. Jesus mentioned uh, common grace in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because you know what? That's what your heavenly father does. Your father in heaven is not very particular about those he loves. God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, common grace tells us that God loves all people unconditionally. All people. It's not dependent at all on their actions or their behavior. He just loves people. His love is unconditional. I heard it once said that God is this indiscriminate lover. <laughs> he loves all people. He loves the saint, and he loves the scoundrel. He loves the good folks and the bad folks. He loves murderers and rapists and terrorists. And he loves firefighters that rush into buildings and aid workers. God loves Hitler. And he loves Mother Teresa. This is kind of the offensive truth about grace that's hard for us to accept sometimes. But that's what scripture tells us. And that's what our experience tells us. Good people and not so good people and people who are good and bad, which is probably most of us. <laughs> we all enjoy the gift of life. We all enjoy the beauty of creation. We are all recipients of what we call common grace. And nowhere is common grace more clearly seen than in this passage I just read on creation. In the beginning, God created. Five words into the Bible, and you see grace. Because when you say that God is the creator, you are saying so much about the nature of God and who God is. And one of the things you say is God is a God of grace. I'll say probably a number of times in this series, the fundamental truth, one of the fundamental truths of our existence, our very existence, 
is grace. And what do I mean by that? Well, if it weren't for grace, none of us would be here. The world wouldn't be here. None of it would be. You see, it's just this gift that God gives us, and it's absolutely free. God creates out of absolute freedom, and he gives freely. It's not compelled by anything except love to create. He created all of this out of nothing, and the only material he had to work with was his heart. And it's done out of complete freedom. God created all this, and he gives it to us. Can I tell you that this, I think, is one of the key paradigm shifts in the Christian life? That all of life is a gift. Key shift. Because so often we think we earn all this. No, it's, it's a gift, free of charge. One of my favorite authors, Frederick Beekner, a Presbyterian pastor and author, he writes this about grace and see how it ties in here. He says, grace is something you can never get, but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or to bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks, or bring about your own birth. He continues, a good sleep is grace, and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody is grace. God created all of it. And he gives it to us. That's why it makes me so sad when I think of what, and this is another sermon maybe, of what we have done with this great gift of creation. God has given us this tremendous gift, and he just doesn't give a little bit. I think the other thing we see about God in this passage is he is just generous beyond measure, extravagant in his creation, over the top in his generosity. You know, I was thinking about my, you know, one of the bad things about being a preacher is you're always thinking about your sermon and looking for illustrations, right? You're on the hunt all the time. Yesterday, I was at a dog park with our new puppy, and I was looking at all these dogs. And here was a Bernese mountain dog. Probably a a huge dog. It was big for a Bernese mountain dog. Probably 120, 130 pounds. And right next to it, thinking that it was just as big, was a chihuahua. (laughs) And there were golden retrievers. And there were uh, doodles. And there, you know, on and on and on. You know, God could have created just one kind of dog. You see, he's extravagant. All these different dogs, just at a dog park. Think of all his species. You know, there's one, a couple acres in Brazil's rainforest 
425 different kinds of trees in one, two, one parcel of two and a half acres. In one small corner of Peru's Manu National Park, there are 1,300 butterfly species. And so when we look at creation, we see this great, generous, extravagant God, and he spoke it all, spoke it all into existence because of love. And he governs it, and he sustains it out of love. And it is this amazing heart of God, this love of God, that gives life to us. And the high point of this story, this creation story, is when God creates humankind. And perhaps it's at this high point, this apex, that we learn what's most beautiful about God, about this God who has created all things. And really, this is the main point of this passage is God is this giving God, this generous God, this relational God who has created us to be in relationship with him. God is this welcoming God who makes room for others. And as I said earlier, nothing compelled him to do this. He didn't have to do it. God created because his true character is love. It's not a whim. He didn't just decide to create all this on a whim. No, he's a beneficent, generous God whose love and desire for community and relationship is just so clearly seen in this story. We have a God who wants to be in relationship with us. And this is the story of the Bible from the first page to the very last. Somehow, this great, big, powerful, transcendent, all-knowing, all-present, holy other God wants to be in relationship with us. This is wondrous. This God who was before the beginning, who's always always has been and always will be, welcomes me and you to a relationship. These first few chapters make something very clear. We are created to be in relationship with God, to love God, to know his love. And if we miss out on that, something very fundamental, the fundamental, to our existence is missing. You know, I'll close with this. The Old Testament root of the New Testament word for grace has to do with a king or a powerful ruler stooping down to give something to a subject. A powerful ruler condescending to give something to a powerless person. 
And this is why I see creation so much as an expression of grace. This powerful creator bends down to give us life, to give us the gift of creation, to give us this gift of relationship with him. And even more wondrous, he makes us in his image. This God wants to know us, does know us, and wants to be in relationship with us. This God who spoke, and all of creation snapped into beginning, into being. Wow! Really something. I hope that when we hear that, we're just shaken to our core. I hope that this makes you, me, want to fall down and worship the Creator and give thanks and live in gratitude. And you see, I think this is the purpose of this passage. Amen. O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at the heavens and the works of your fingers and the moon and the stars that you have established. What are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. Oh God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And may we live lives in response to this amazing grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.